Just a flat white, thanks. Hello. When you're in business, there's always something to talk about. Sales, marketing, operations, finance. There's always a project happening. We get to chat to a ton of different businesses in our agency. And so we wanted to take this time to learn more about what's working for them, what's not working for them, how they're managing their teams, how they're achieving growth in a challenging market. And we hope you can get a bunch of value out of it. On the podcast today, we're talking with Stefan and Thomas from Booktopia, the Chief Marketing Officer and the Senior Digital Marketing Manager. These guys have been in charge of a marketing operation that is helping to shift upwards of 20,000 books a day. So they literally have access to the thoughts and the ideas of the nation. It's a really cool episode and there's definitely a lot of value in this one. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of Talks, uh, the talk agency podcast. We've got some really cool guests on the show today. I would like to extend a very warm, digital, very socially distant welcome to Stefan Darling, the CMO at Booktopia and Angus and Robertson, as well as Thomas Ott, who's the Senior Digital Marketing Manager there. Welcome aboard, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us, Cooper. <laughs> um, would love it just to, I guess, get a kickoff on this discussion. If you could give us a bit of a background as to uh, both the Angus and Robertson and the Booktopia businesses, like a bit of a history as well as what the businesses are doing now, as well as what your two roles are in the business. Sure. So Booktopia is, uh, is 16 years old now. Booktopia was a, was a pure play online book retailer. And, uh, and started on a daily budget for spending $10 a day on, on Google advertising to, yep. to get, the, get the ball rolling. Originally, this business was founded by three marketers who had a marketing agency on the side uh, and then ultimately started Booktopia as a, as a side project. Uh, fast forward many years, of course, this, this turned out pretty well for the group. And uh, now, fast forward the 16 years, uh, we've acquired a few other businesses. Angus and Robertson was one of the bookstores that we've acquired. Uh, we've mm -hmm. also acquired uh, another bookshop for textbooks, which was called the Co-op. We acquired all their assets here early in, early in the year. Now, uh, total size of the business is we have just north of, uh, I guess, north of 200 people in the business. We have a big logistics out in Lidcombe in Sydney, where we, uh, where we serve both all of our inventory, where we have that there, and all staff are working from, from that office and from that location. Uh, on the website, we have, we have many millions of products on, on the website and, and we're sending out north of, uh, of 20,000 units a day at the moment. Big operation. Yeah, it's definitely come up to that size. We're the biggest online, online bookstore uh, here in Australia right now. So, so yes. Yep. yep. And, and how do both your roles sort of operate in the business, CMO and Senior Digital Marketing Manager? That, that would have some pretty heavy firepower, particularly when you're an online retailer. Yeah, so, so for us, we, because we're online only, we, of course, focus very much on the bottom funnel, funnel tactics. So most of what we're doing, you'll see a natural gravitation to want, towards that bottom funnel uh, activity, very heavy on maybe any kind of performance metrics, performance ads. That's, that's really where we're playing it strong against the offline world, of course. Yep. Uh, so in my remit as, as chief marketing officer, I oversee everything, the marketing, brand, PR, 
um, and social as well, I guess, and community. Um, Thomas, you want to tell a little bit about yourself and your role? Yeah, exactly. So, like you mentioned, I'm a senior digital marketing manager at Booktopia, and uh, I'm really accountable for basically the digital marketing performance mm -hmm. across all channels that we operate on, including email, search, affiliate, and social being some core ones. Um, I'm really responsible for all the numbers across these channels, including all performance marketing elements. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is, uh, I guess, something I wanted to ask, probably a pretty relevant question for both of you, is books have a massive lineage, you know, since the dawn of civilization, almost people have been writing. And then we have this huge digital wave which started, you know, some some time ago now, to your point, Booktopia is, is 16, 17 years old. There's a, there's a big lineage there already. But digital has this huge lineage. And then right now, due to COVID, has this massive critical mass. You know, I read a stat the other day that e-coms jumped to e-com conversion or, or um, share of voice in terms of total retail has jumped to like 30 or 35% in Australia. And they think it's going to settle at more than double what it was before COVID. So there's a big digital story there in general. How has the way consumers consume information and read books, how has it changed in your industry? I mean, you've got Amazon, you've got Kindles, you've got online news, you've got fake news. Like, how has it changed? Exactly, Cooper. That's, that's a really great question. And uh, it's something that has been extremely unique in the last six, seven months the consumption patterns have really been extremely uh, formidable in the way that they've just adjusted over the past few months. So basically, as marketers, our role is to empathize and serve those consumer needs. And during COVID, those consumption patterns changed a lot. What we found in the early stages were, you know, initially people really want to escape from reality. Others wanted to really upskill, um, given the turbulent times regarding employment. At the beginning of COVID, we saw a lot of demand for things like puzzles and, and kids' books also makes sense given that schools were closed, right? And then we found that, you know, in April, May time, people became more interested in romance, right? And then after that, guess what happened next? A few pregnancy books started selling, uh, selling like hotcakes. So it was quite interesting how things started to evolve and, uh, we saw in, in the winter time in June, July, a lot of demand for cooking books. And then, that, then over time, that also evolved into something a little bit more adventurous, like even dumplings. Yeah, and right. uh, even as recently as about a month ago, we saw an increase in demand now for weight loss books. So yeah. it's quite interesting how the demand evolved quite significantly since March time. And uh, looking back beyond that, the bestseller number one travel-related book in 2019, March, was one on cruises right 12 months later guess what it was aussie road trips yeah. so uh you, you can quite imagine that shift and how we tapped into that demand we needed to cater for that so between april and august we had a cooking campaign that did particularly well we then of course had to cater that for that demand with a jigsaw puzzles campaign between may and august and then we tapped into the demand for fiction and had a crime month campaign in July before focusing on a kids month campaign in September. So we really had to react to the changing demand patterns. Mm, okay. Like Thomas says, it, it tells a very human story, right? It's funny yeah. how you can see the human evolution in Australians during these six or seven months. It was so, so profound in the changes in interest and the, and the cravings that people have and how they were changing their behaviors and patterns. It was very, it's very visible. It's funny. 
Yeah, and I guess I was just thinking through it while you were speaking then, moving the kind of units or the kind of volume that you're moving, it would almost be like you would have your own barometer on the consumer, like your your own version of keyword trends or search trends or something like that. That would be quite a unique sort of experience to be able to tap into that. It's almost like your own first-party data set. It it definitely was. And for us, we were were constantly looking at what was going on down in Melbourne as Melbourne went into theirs. Like in yeah. the second stage lockdown, right? And uh, we've been sitting here with the finger on the pulse and seeing, well, what's then going to happen now that they're getting, getting out of lock, lockdown again here? What was that two days ago or whatever it was? Mm. Uh, very visible changes in consumer spending and consumer patterns across all these big events that's happening here in Australia. You, you can spot it in the consumption patterns. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And do you feel, so I've got a couple of family members who are just avid readers. They just love, love reading big time. And it's, it's such a big part of their life. And so pre this interview, I was thinking about what value they extract out of books and it's pretty significant. It's, it becomes a really big part of a lot of people's lives. And you know, every, everyone's read or had an experience in reading a book in some way, shape or form. Do you feel like you have some sort of a social responsibility or a specific connection to your customer base because of the importance that they put on the books they read and the information they get out of them? Deep question. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, is the short answer to it. Because of the breadth of what books are for people, there is a lot of responsibility around it. Uh, it's not always an easy responsibility either. If, if you look at it, books is the combined human knowledge. It's, it's everything we know. It's everything we've learned, put down to paper, storage. Yeah. We lost Alexandria back in the day when the Library of Alexandria bur- burned down. That's one of the biggest disasters in human history. Mm. What we have in terms of all the books is that it's the collective knowledge and knowledge of who we are and who we were. Mm. There's a big responsibility in, in protecting, but also sharing that. Um, what I mean by that is when you're talking about the responsibility, we don't always agree with the books that exist, but we have a responsibility to still make them available, so to speak. Like we, we can't run from our past. There are books with content that we don't agree with on a very personal level. Mm. We could completely disagree with it, but it's still who we are as a, you know, as a human race. And mm. there's a responsibility in, in owning up to that at the same time. So that's more of a philosophical question and a philosophical answer on, you know, when you are the custodian of all that knowledge and all of that information, how do you do that the right way? How do you live up to your own ideals and your, and your society's current ideals when you're the custodian of old legacy thoughts and ideas at the same time, right? We got to, let me, let me give you an example of how that's a challenge for a lot of other businesses like us today. Anyone who curates content, Disney Plus as an example, the new streaming search yep. ser- service from Disney, they've literally just gone out and changed a lot of disclaimers on a lot of the old cartoons in Disney. Because even Disney has a library of old series or old movies that would be considered very inappropriate today. Yeah. Uh, if it uh, depicts any kind of racial or cultural differences. We had a different sense of that 20, 30, 50, 60 years ago. There were things that we collectively considered appropriate that we do not think is appropriate anymore and as such we we need to make up those those calls of do we erase that part of our culture does film producers and music producers do they erase that legacy well what do we do with it and it's the same with books there's a, there's a big responsibility around it and trying to figure out what we do with all of that responsibility it's not a it's not an easy task so yes we do, we do definitely consider the responsibility around it 
Um, and, and I guess in some genres of books, there's a larger responsibility than, than in others, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's about that uh, independent representation of the history of the collective of what you stock and what you sell. That's interesting. So we've sort of already touched on it, but just to expand on it a little further, COVID-19 sounds like it's been a little bit of a, a tailwind to your industry to a degree this year. Would you agree with that? And I guess moving forward, do you see it in your business from, I guess, a marketing lens? Do you see it continuing to be so? So like I said earlier, there are, you know, retail share of voice, e-com is 30, 30, 35%. A lot of businesses are saying they believe it's going to settle at about double what it was prior to COVID. Do you see that sort of playing out at the moment? And from a crystal ball perspective, do you think it's going to? It's tough to judge that one. To be honest, in terms of the commercial implications of this, I have to say there's there have been positives and negatives, right? So when we look at the positive angle, you know, it has broken people's habits. And when that happens, usually there's a need that should be fulfilled, right? And as marketers, we need to empathize with that and serve that need. So there's been an opportunity for us to convert new customers buying online for the first time. And what we've found is a significant proportion of those new customers that have been buying for the first time are now repeating that behavior because that habit of buying online has now been developed. So it can be expected to be continued. So um, in terms of drawbacks, though, of course, it's had a detrimental impact on physical stores with so many closing. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, from a logistical perspective, that's also had a huge impact on, on multiple businesses and everyone has had to react to that so that the disruption does not ultimately negatively impact the customer. So everyone has been very reactive to the changing scenario here. Yeah, okay. It's one of those things where you mentioned the first-time buyer online, this being a new experience for a first-time buyer online, very much as marketers trying to nurture that first-time buyer into a long-time user of online services. I think it seems like a lot of businesses are really sort of focused in on that at the moment as a way to not only obviously, like let's call a spade a spade, support their own businesses and generate revenues for their own businesses, but almost provide a solution to customers that didn't feel like they had it before. I would use the example of my neighbor that I live next door, you know, to she's an elderly woman um, prior to COVID had, had never shopped online was felt obviously was required to when COVID sort of struck and the experience has been really helpful for her, you know, completely separate of COVID. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems like, you know, yourselves and many mm-hmm. other businesses tend to be sort of trying to, support first-time customers like that to, to continue to shop online. Exactly. And that's a great point. And, and it's also one of those things where, you know, yes, you can convert them for the first time, but at the same time, I just quoted that there has been an element of logistical pressures as well. Right. So yeah. I think there's never been a time that marketing and, and logistics need to work as close as they currently do, because if customers are waiting six or seven, eight days for their orders, they might not purchase again with you. So you need to be working daily with a distribution center just to make sure that the increase in organic demand can be met by the supply side of the business. 
It's a really, really good point. I think we've been very advantageous there in terms of the connection and the, I guess, the collaboration that we have directly with Australia Post and the team over at Australia Post. I think if any business right now have had it really, really hard outside of, of outside of those, of course, seeing the significant declines in revenues and foot traffic in their businesses, and other business like uh, like Seco and Australian Post have had their own struggles. Of course, we're looking at that increased demand that's happening at the same time on on their sides and how they're following suite on that. Mm. Yeah, for us, for us, like Thomas said, it's been very much, it's been a really good and healthy experience for 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 e-commerce in terms of getting closer to your to your operation and making sure that you can keep delivering on those promises that you that you have to your customers and keep operating at the the same shipping times that you've always had. That's that's kind of key right now. Luckily, we've been in that position that we've been able to do that. So, so that's yeah, good. awesome. And uh, I guess off the back of that, then uh, a question I had was around maybe zooming out a bit. Any changes in typical consumption with your customers. So a trend we've seen in a lot of different industries is a significant shift that seems to be gathering more and more steam and more and more momentum around consumers going from being, you know, your traditional consumers of heavily packaged goods, you know, sugared foods, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, the nuclear family of the 50s that rolled into the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, it seems that more and more society is developing like a consciousness around, you know, obviously being environmentally friendly, really thinking deeply as a society about race and gender equality and all these really, really significant issues, which I know we sort of touched on earlier, but from a marketing point of view, are you seeing shifts in the types of books that consumers are buying from you around these themes? And do you see sort of a, a contribution to that from Booktopia's point of view? We, we do, we do. I think we're a little bit back to what the responsibility of a bookseller is at the, at the same time. But we do see these patterns that are very much in line with society's focus, I would say. At this time last year, we had very, very different battles, bushfires. Mm. Significant challenges across the country with bushfires, the devastating impact it had on our ecosystem, the animals here, the people that were impacted in, in their areas that were significantly hit by the bushfires. And collectively, we as a society that went together and started you know, doing something about it. So when we're talking about how that impacts what we saw as well, but there were also consumption patterns that looked at what you can do, what people can do. People wanted to do more, but didn't necessarily know how. So they were looking for products and knowledge and information about how they could contribute more. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of her, but there was a famous Australian comedian, I believe she was, that banded all the Hollywood A-listers together yeah. and got them to what was a donate for almost $50 million, yeah. uh, or whatever it was. That's fantastic. And that's a good example of that collective consciousness that we have, but it also taps into the collective curiousness that people have, because as soon as you start developing this mass consciousness where everybody focuses on a particular theme or a topic, there'll be a lot of people out there that want to be part of that as well and feel a a responsibility to take part of that, but they just don't know enough about it. So they start seeking out information and knowledge about it. And the way that we've seen that across, across the year, both spans from back when we had the bushfires, what could you do for animal protection, animal services, for deforestation, um, how you can protect the environment, living plastic-free, and et cetera. And then we come, came into the situation on a global scale where the Black Lives Matter movement got its, uh, its justified additional moment in the collective consciousness, mm. which is great for all of us, really. Mm. And ultimately, it led to, again, us seeing that people were searching for those kind of pro- uh, products that could help them better understand uh, both our... I guess our, our history, you know, where, where do we all come from? Where have we witnessed racial tensions in the past and how we've been 
you know, challenged by that or how we've been overcoming those in particular situations. So get, getting more knowledge about it and getting more informed is definitely something we can see people are trying to do and, and buy products to, to support them in that. Yeah, okay. That would be, again, you'd have that proprietary data around that. You just see those books flowing out the warehouse. It's really interesting. A, a good example of that, Cooper, is, uh, again, speak, speaking of responsibility, I think for a lot of people, companies included, we sometimes observe what's going on around us and it serves as a reminder of what's important for us. And I think a lot of companies chose to lean, lean into the movements that we just talked about and then serve that as a reminder to themselves of still being the voice of equality where, mm. you know, but this actually matters for the companies. Uh, for us, we went out, we, because we tried to do our bit as well by creating a, a focus on all literature that's written by First Nations uh, communities. Mm. So for us, it meant that we, we really wanted to take a stand on this as well and, and, and be part of uh, not necessarily the, the Black Lives Matter movement, but we just try and focus on how can we give a voice to the voiceless? And here mm. in Australia, just at our home turf and our local communities, you know, we do have minorities here that's not getting their voices out. Mm. And we do have a responsibility to, you know, to, to, to help with that, I think. So for us, we went out and created these campaigns where we're focusing on that culture and mm. trying to make sure that the storytellers of these communities get to tell the stories the way that they want to tell them. Mm. So our initiative with the First Nations Voices, as you can see on Booktopia from the homepage, mm. is, is that initiative. We have a curator that is a community member of the First Nations uh, uh, in Heritage that curates the products on this landing page. It's not a bunch of book buyers. Mm. It's the storytellers of those communities that tells the stories that they feel that should be told. So it comes from their voices. We have a new community member that does that every, every single month. It's not stagnant. We have the absolutely fantastic Bruce Pascoe as the curator of the First and every single month we have a new cure and we've been running that for around three months uh, and i consider something that's something that's uh, that's evergreen and perpetual for us yep to continually you know contribute to this yeah right okay that's a, a really good example of how i think if there are businesses out there that might feel that oh well I, i'm you know the the i'm just comment you know i just sell online or i just run a, a food vendor or, or whatever the situation is that there's really a contribution that every to your point individual but also every organization can make to some of those bigger issues well i think like you say when we when we can help surface the right the right information we, we, should, we should definitely try it's it's hard it's hard when you have that many products many categories it's hard when you don't always have a, a way of reading into the intent of somebody searching on your site mm. uh, but there are things we can all do collectively yeah yeah Interesting. And just to, I know time is precious for you guys. So just to wrap it up, something that we like to ask, you know, a lot of people we speak with, and of course you do not need to divulge your, your secret source, but have you got any advice for anyone, particularly in the marketing space listening, who might be trying to find their next edge or their next tactic or their next way to drive growth for their organization? Have you got any advice for anyone sort of looking for that edge? Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. And everything's contextual, right? So it depends a little bit on the maturity level of the company. But for example, since there has been in this massive rise in organic demand, for some companies that may put them in a position to justify reductions in marketing spend and shift the focus from incremental top line revenue towards the bottom line and ultimately profitability. Mm. Some companies would be in a position to do that. Others wouldn't. So I guess there's also a huge branding opportunity here, right? If the company has the objective of moving away 
from the bottom of the funnel, perhaps due to the logistical pressures that I previously mentioned, and towards top of the funnel branding and engagement activities, that could be a huge opportunity during these times. But also in terms of the increase in digitalization, considering these supply chain impacts, it has never been more important. And you do kind of need to reevaluate the business strategy almost on a monthly basis in 2020, yeah. according to the changing needs of the consumers. It sounds a little bit ad hoc, but at the same time, 2020, we haven't had a choice but to be that reactive. Mm. Uh, in terms of on an individual level, I guess one thing to note that's increasingly important is just staying on top of any technological developments or, or marketing trends. And that's really tough because it's a really fast-paced industry. But how I do that is before I even kick off my day, I will make sure that I haven't missed anything that has happened overnight. Mm. How I do that is through a couple of ways. One, listening to podcasts and two, just making sure that I haven't missed anything on an industry level or on a position level. For example, I work very closely with organic search. So I rely on the search engine roundtable for that. Um, but then, of course, working in retail, I need to make sure that I haven't missed anything in the last 12 hours just to make sure that I'm at the forefront all the time and I'm the first to know because then I can pass that down to the rest of the team, whatever is important, whatever is relevant. Mm. So I guess the first task of the day for me is to zoom out and just make sure that I'm not missing anything. Uh, but during these times, it's extremely hard to do that unless you make it a priority. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it seems to be moving faster every day, that's for sure. Mm, absolutely. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for your time, both to yourself, Stefan, and to you, Thomas. We, like I said, we know how hard time is to come by. So really appreciate you joining us on the podcast and no doubt we'll uh, stay in touch. Thanks, Cooper. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. No worries. Thank you so much, Cooper. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, we know time is super hard to come by these days. So thanks for joining us here on Talks. Hope to chat to you again next time. Just paying for the coffee, thanks.